Galatians chapter five. Uh, when I grew up, uh, when I when I was grew, I grew up in the church. Uh, I spent literally every single waking moment that I wasn't in school or at my house. We were we were in church on some level. We were involved on multiple fronts in different areas of church. And so what happened in my life is, um, was gatherings like this that we're in right now, um, those were not irregular or abnormal. They were a normal place for me to be in. And um, when I would be a part of this and I would hear people say amen or I would see the kids walk and do the things that they did this morning, I was never freaked out because that's what I grew up in. I saw that constantly in my life. And when someone said to me, or you hear the preacher say, we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was never freaked out. I was never, um, I never looked at that as a strange thing. I never thought, man, that's, a, that's an odd saying to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I never thought, man, what, what is that guy talking about? Rather, um, that language became something that was normal to me. But even though it was normal, sometimes I think when we hear things a lot and it becomes normal, that can become dangerous because it's comfortable and it is normative. And, and rather than being awestruck by the idea of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, I, I didn't really take it seriously. I sat in pews just like this and I heard my father say things like we need to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to live in repentance. We need to pursue holiness. And man, all through high school, I just I didn't think that that was a big deal. I didn't take it as seriously. Oh, I was there and I would say amen at points, but I didn't take it seriously. I did the normal thing and I showed up to church because dad was the pastor. Like, that's what you do as a pastor's son is you show up at church. Like, especially if I lived under my dad's roof, I was in church. That was part of it. I never looked at the idea of making war on my sin as that big of a deal. And I really never thought about the idea of spiritual warfare. I would hear verses like Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against every ruler and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places i would hear that and i would just say yeah okay yeah yes and amen yes and amen but those verses while sitting in those pews never truly hit me all through my years up to like 19 years old and it just, I never thought about making war on my sin. And I, and I knew Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I knew that because I had been in Sunday school and I'd heard the Sunday school teacher say that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But I never really dug deep into the idea of actually making war on my sin. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 was not a big verse that was on my radar. The idea of making war against my sin or, and against the enemy, like pressing into the darkness and say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make full-fledged, full, full-court press war on my sin. I never thought about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, we destroy arguments against every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
And as a young man, I would sometimes wonder, why in the world am I struggling with lust? Why am I struggling with anger? Why am I struggling with pride? And I, and I would never really flesh those ideas out. I would go to camp and I would, I would look at the guy on stage and I would think, man, he's really got his life figured out. He's got everything figured out. Look at, he's smart. Look at him. Just dissect the Bible. Look at those singers in the band. Man, they got it all figured out. And I thought, man, if I just, when I just get older, I'll have it figured out. Well, I'm older and I don't have it figured out. Anybody else? I'm older and I, like, I have a better... Gr- but here's the thing. Like none of us in the room have it figured out, but Jesus does. That's why we're to anchor ourselves into the text. And when I started rooting myself into God's word, that's when I began to see, man, I do need to make war on my sin. I do need to fight against my fleshly desires. Like, I need to fight against my desire to be right. I need to fight against my lust, my pride, my unbiblical anger. I need to fight against these things. My pridefulness that pops up, my arrogance that pops up. I need to make war on those things. Scripture, or we, there's a famous quote that says, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And like I said last week, I think the reason that so many of us feel defeated and we're not winning in the battles of our lives, spiritual battles in our lives, is, is, because, is because we're not truly seeing the scriptures the way they were intended to be seen. And we aren't engrafting this word and we're not seeing God for who he truly is. And we're not winning these battles is because we, man, here's the thing. I think a lot of us don't even really, like we hear the idea that there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your mind. But we don't show up for the battle. We struggle and we don't even realize. And that's, the enemy has done a fantastic job of convincing many in the church, many that are sitting in pews, that that the enemy's convinced, listen, the battle in your life's not that bad. There might be a battle down the street in so-and-so's life, but not you. You're okay. You're okay. And the devil has done a, good, a fantastic job of convincing us that there really is not a battle to be had and that needs to be fought. And so a lot of us just coast from Sunday to Sunday and we get the trash kicked out of us and we're thinking, why is it? Why is it that like, why is it that the Bible seems so cold? Why is it that church is boring? Why is it that the, the, that the saints of God are annoying? Why, why, why? Well, because you're not entrenched in the battle. Like you're not fighting the war the way God truly intended you to fight. You see, you and I have two natures. Every one of us in this room have two natures. If you're truly a follower of Christ, you have true na- two natures. Right this very moment, you have a fallen sin nature that you were born with. The moment you came out of your mama's womb and you were born into this world, you were born depraved, wicked, and sinful. Minus God. There's no such thing as, oh, it's a cute little innocent baby. No, it's a wretch. It's a wicked, depraved creature 
How do I know? Because A, God says so. And have you been, at, have you been in a house with a baby at 2 a.m.? That's colicky? Yeah, there's no, oh, what a blessing this is. Right? Okay, I'm joking. So, calm down. Mama's in there like, wait, how can well, I'm just, just kidding. I'm just joking. But we are. I'm not joking about this. You and I were born with like sin. We were born minus God. We were born depraved. And so we have that nature that we were born with. And, and there is a, another nature that you received at your conversion. The moment you repented and believed, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. And you have become a new creation. But the old, the old sinful nature is still there. It's not been done away with. And so there's this war that takes place. You've got the new regenerated spirit that God's placed in us. And you've got the sin man that's still there. And there is a fight between those two entities. There is a full-fledged war that is waging for your heart, for your mind, right this very moment. So in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us a a prescription, an idea, an unpacking of what we're supposed to do. He says in verse 16, we're going to start, <coughs> we're going to start in verse 16 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I've warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The gift of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited or provoking one another or envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 16 tells us, first thing out of the gate, it says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Every single believer has an indwelling of the Holy Ghost that lives in them right this very moment. Did you know that uh, you are a temple? You are a temple that God resides in. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 through 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? For you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. We have a a picture that Paul paints 
that you and I are a temple. The idea to walk is a verb. It's action. It is a continuous action of believers that walk in a forward lifestyle of following Jesus Christ. And when we submit to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will be obedient to what the Spirit of God wants for you and I to do. We are not our own by nature after we've been bought with a price. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ So now we are to live in accordance to his spirit and his will. So as a result, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. You want to gratify God's spirit that indwells inside of you. That's the idea that the text unpacks is, but if you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. If you're walking by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Period. Verse 17 then says this. It says, for the desires of the flesh go against the desires of the spirit and the desires of the spirit go against the flesh. And they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Remember I told you, that there is a full-fledged war that is taking place inside of you right this very moment. This verse unpacks this idea in, more, in a more complete way. The way that we fight against these ideas of, of the flesh. The compulsion of the, of the flesh to railroad the spirit. We have, this, we have this desire that is directly opposed to each other and to keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. The way that we fight against these, these fleshly compulsions is we are to take death to self every single day. We are not to, we're, we're to, we're to take death is what Paul said. I die to my flesh every day and I am to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you walk in the spirit, you are free. Remember how Paul starts this in chapter five? He says, for freedom, Christ came. You're free to move and to have your being in Christ. That's what you're, you're able to walk freely in Christ. And verse 18 says that when you're led by the spirit of God, you are not under the penalty of the law. You are free to move and have your being in Christ. If you are living in the flesh, though, You're not only breaking the law, you're demonstrating the law. You're demonstrating what the law is. And there's consequences to breaking and demonstrating the law. When you walk in the flesh and you break God's law, there are consequences to walking in the flesh. And and we are given more information here in the text in verse 19 through 22 of what what the works of the flesh are. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. So we've got two lumped together there. Sexual immorality and impurity. Like, here's the thing that the enemy has convinced the world that that sex is a dirty thing. It's 
not. It's a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ to be exercised within the, the covenant bonds of marriage. It's a beautiful gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan does what Satan does. And he takes beautiful gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. And he twists and he perverts. And so this is the work of the flesh. Sexual immorality. Anything that's outside of the covenant marriage of a man and a woman. Impurities. Sensuality. So you've got all these lumped in in verse 20. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Things like that. And we have this, it just unpacks what it looks like to live by the flesh rather than living by the spirit. And I love that there's a lot, the last part of it because human beings by nature, man, we're list makers. We love to like check off the list and say, okay, man, not doing that. Nope, definitely not doing that one. Not doing that one. Maybe a little bit of that one. Eh, not doing that one. And I love at the end of it, he says, what? And things like it. So he gives all these things that, are, that were present in front of us. And then he says, okay, because it's, it's about the heart. If you're doing things that are similar to this, uh, here's how this works. And I love that he unpacks this and he says, man, it's just uh, if, you're, if you're doing this, as I told you before, if you're engaging, actively pursuing this type of sin and doing these things, I'm telling you, you're not going to heaven. That's not me saying that. That's what the Bible says. The idea is about the heart. What's your heart set on? What's your affections set on? What is it that you're following? What is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're loving? Are you loving the God of the universe or are you loving yourself? Like that's the two things. Like remember at the beginning of it, Paul said you've got two natures. You've got the flesh and you've got the spirit. Which one are you worshiping? Which one are you following? Which one are you obeying? Every one of us in this room is a slave to something. We're a slave to self and to sin or we're a slave to the Savior. One of the two. Are you gratifying the fleshly desires and pleasures of your life and, your, and what's in this world presently? Or are you obeying God's Holy Spirit? This question matters. Your eternity, my eternity, hinges on this question. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? We have to be fully aware here. And if you and I are making a practice of walking in the flesh, honestly, I'm going to be honest. If we're making a a habitual practice, I didn't say occasionally you slip and fall. Because listen, every single one of us are human and we're going to sin. And if you say, oh, I'm without sin, you're a liar, according to James. So we will struggle with sin to a degree. But here's the thing. If your sin doesn't bother you, if you can sin and not get away and you can just get away with it and like, yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, I can I can have fits of anger and not be bothered by it. Yeah, I can have impure thoughts and not be be bothered by it. What are you looking to? Who are you looking to? Who are you looking to? We have to be fully aware here. And if we're not 
And if we are making a practice of walking in these fleshly desires, honestly, we've got to take a self-inventory because we may not be saved. We may not be saved. And I'm trying to figure out a way to like, can, like show us in the room. Man, maybe some of us in the room aren't saved. If we are not bothered by our sins, there may be an indication. That's, that's a very good indication that you're being deceived and you're not saved. But if you're bothered by your sin, I mean, you're just, you hate your sin. You're just like, a, like, there's days that I wake up and I think to myself, how can God even stand me? Oh, I'm a wretch. My sin bothers me. That's a good sign that your sin bothers you. Now, I didn't say, does your neighbor's sin bother you? Because <laughs> we all, everybody's neighbors bother. Their, their, oh, Darren's sin really bothers me. But does your sin bother? Does Caleb's sin bother Caleb? And if it doesn't, that's a problem. You need to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only then will you actually be saved from yourself and from the penalty of the law. But here's the beautiful thing about this. God doesn't leave us there. You got to keep going in verse 22. Verse 22 gives us hope. Uh, last, a year ago today, I posted on my Facebook, I said, it's crazy that the smell of somebody mowing their grass could ever seem like hope. Because last year was a crazy year, right? And the smell of somebody, it's just that fresh start, that new beginning, that rebirth of what comes out of the ground. It's just, it's a beautiful hope. This is beautiful hope in front of us. And we've been presented with the bad news. Here's what, here's the bad news. The good news can never look good until you're comparing it to the bad news. And if I'm comparing myself to somebody else in the room, I can always look taller than somebody else. But if I'm comparing myself to Christ, I'll never measure up. So I have to see the bad news first. And then Jesus swoops in at just the right time with the good news in verse 22. But, I love that coordinating conjunction. But, the fruit of the Spirit. So we saw the fruit of the flesh. What's evident? The fruit of the flesh. Now I get to see the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what happens when Jesus indwells me and, and, and thrives inside of me. What happens? There's love. There's joy. There's peace, there's patience, there's kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And man, there's some self-control. And guess what? Against such things, there is no law. Amen? Like that should get us excited. Like that's the hope of the gospel. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells us, man. We're, we're full of love for one another. And as a result of having love for one another, there's joy that abounds in our hearts. And as a result of joy being in our hearts, man, we're just, we're at peace. There's no turmoil or problems. You're at peace. And as a result of being at peace, man, you're patient with one another. You're so patient with each other. And as a result of that, you're kind to one another. There's goodness that flows out of you. And you're faithful. You're faithful to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 shows us how and who we are are to find our ability in verse 24. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to who? Those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus, man, we, we crucify our flesh. We put that thing on the cross. We don't take our flesh and say, it's my right to do what I want. We say, man, I'm going to put my rights on that cross. I'm going to put my desires on that cross. I'm going to crucify everything. It's over. I love this. That Christ, those that belong to Christ, we crucify it. Those that belong to Christ put their flesh to death. We drag our flesh into the street and we murder our flesh. We kill it. Crucify means to kill or to murder. The desires to follow after sin and to sin and, and to do sin must be destroyed or it will destroy you. Amen. It will destroy you if you don't destroy it. And we've got to, we've got to have this, this, this idea that walking in the spirit looks different than walking in the flesh. And as a result of this, verse 25 says it on its own, verse 25 and 26. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. So if we live in the spirit, spirit lives in us. Man, we're to walk in that way. And you know what that means? Simple as this. I mean, you're going to keep short accounts. If you belong to Christ, you will forgive many offenses because you've had many offenses forgiven for you. You won't hold a grudge. Christians, a genuine Bible-believing Christian, will not hold a grudge. They will let it, as Elsa said, and I can't believe I'm doing this, let it go, let it go. They'll let it go. It's a little much? Okay, maybe not. Sorry. There was a season in my life where that was all that played in my house. And it's like tattooed on my brain cells. I'll never forget it. But man, Christian, a genuine Bible-believing Christian will not hold the grudge. They'll let it, like, they'll quickly forgive. Man, I'll tell you a story this week. Man, I, I lied to a guy this week. I lied to a guy about something because I wanted to seem more spiritual to a friend of mine about something. And, I, and so I twisted. I didn't tell the full truth. I lied to him. Holy Spirit zinged me and said, I mean, you can't do that. So I messaged him. I said, man, brother, I'm so sorry. I lied to you because I wanted to look spiritual. I mean, please forgive me. And you know what his response was? Unequivocally, yes. You don't ever have to try to look more spiritual, brother. I know we're both messed up. I know we're both sinful. And I forgive you wholeheartedly and quickly and unconditionally I forgive you. That's what Christians should do. Every time. You, say, well, you don't know what somebody did to me. I can tell you this much. You're right. I don't know what somebody did to you. But I can tell you what you, they did to you was far less than what you did to Christ. What you did to Christ was heinous. And as he hung on the cross... With your sin on his shoulders, he did not say, kill him, I hate them all. You know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Because Christ has meted out forgiveness to you, given forgiveness to you, you should unequivocally give forgiveness to somebody else that's wronged you. If somebody in this room has wronged you, you should forgive them. Period. I don't care how bad it is, how horrible it is. You need to forgive. 
That's how we walk in the Spirit. Now, verse 26 stands on its own. Let us become, let us not become conceited. Because here's what happens. We get spiritual knowledge, and sometimes that can get us real conceited real quick, and we can become a holier-than-thou type person, like, oh, I know the Bible. <laughs> and we got this spirit of, 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 of just arrogance. And so Paul says, don't let us become conceited. Provoking, man, don't provoke one another. Not to this kind of stuff. Hebrews tells us we're to provoke one another to love and to good works. But we're not to provoke one another in, with envying and, and conceitedness. We're not to do that. We're to take death to self. That's what we're called to do. I love, I was reading last night, C.H. Spurgeon. Man, there's a reason C.H. Spurgeon is called the Prince of Preachers. I love this. He's talking about this. This sermon was called um, Looking Unto Jesus. was the name of this sermon that he preached. He says, Oh, that you would look to him now. And your doubts would soon be removed. For there is nothing that is so speedily that kills all doubt and fear as to look into the loving eyes of the blessed dying Lord. Ah, yes, one says, but my doubts are concerning, uh, concerning my salvation in this respect. It, it is concerning. I cannot be so holy as I want to be. Anybody else feel that way? And sometimes I just don't feel like I could be holy the way I should be holy. I can't. I have tried so very much, says one, to get rid of my sin, and I cannot. I have labored to live without wicked thoughts. And without unholy acts. And I still find that my heart is deceitful above all things. And I wander from God. Surely I cannot be saved, right? I can surely not be saved while I am like this. And then he says, stay. Stay for a little bit long. Don't run. Stay. Look to him and be lightened up. Look to him and find light. What business have you to looking to yourself? That's what we do. And then we look, for, we look to try to fix it ourselves. And I, I'm going to do really, that's what Paul's trying to tell the church of Galatia. Stop trying and start trusting. The same idea C.H. Spurgeon unpacks. He says, stop looking to yourself. The first business of a sinner is not to look to himself, but to look to Christ. Your business is to come to Christ, sick, weary, and soul diseased, and ask Christ to cure you. Oh, I love this. You are not to be your own physician. And then go to Christ. But just as you are, only, the only salvation for you is to trust implicitly, simply, and nakedly on Christ alone. As I sometimes put it, make Christ the only pillar of your hope and never seek to be the buttress to try to prop him up. Oh, man, that's good. He is able, he is willing all he asks is that you just trust him. 
What's that old song? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen? Trust and obey Him. As for your good works, they come after salvation. They are an afterfruit of the Spirit. Remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Maybe the reason you're struggling to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness is because you're not a Christian. Those are fruits that come after you're saved. They are afterfruits of the Spirit. But your first business is not to do, but to believe. Don't. Your first business is not to do. Your first business is to believe. Look to Jesus and put your only trust in him. Look to Jesus and put your only trust in him. That's the message of hope. That's the message that we have. And it's just, we were talking about this on the way up this morning as we're driving. Today marks that that Jesus had the triumphal entry into the gates and people sang out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And seven days later, (laughs) what are they screaming? Crucify, crucify. Hosanna, crucify. Hosanna. We can't trust in our flesh. Your business is not to trust in you. Stop trusting and trying to figure it out on your own. Trust and obey Jesus. Look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter. And as a result of Jesus being the author and the perfecter of our faith, what happens? If you're in the Spirit, you'll walk by the Spirit. And those who belong to Christ Jesus will crucify their flesh. If you're in Christ, you'll crucify your flesh. You'll have a change of desire. Now, I didn't say it's going to be perfect overnight. You're still going to struggle. And here's the thing. You're probably going to struggle to the day you stop breathing. You're probably going to struggle for a long time. And that's okay because that's part of it. That's where you find the truth of God's word to sustain you. You've got to know what Jesus says about you and start trusting that and stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Start trusting and obeying what Christ has laid before us. Amen? That's what we do. Let's stand together.